Hello and welcome to The Sound Architect. I am Sam Hughes and I am once again joined by the infamous Grant Kirkhope. Thanks again for joining us, Grant. Infamous? Is that, I don't know if that's good or bad, is it? <laughs> oh, in a good way. In a good way, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, that, nice to be on the show again. <laughs> well, it's great to have you and we'll be chatting about, of course, ukulele. So talk us through how you first heard about ukulele. Did Platonic contact you and then say, we really want you to get involved in the project or did you hear about it and then get involved? It's been sort of, it wasn't really like that really. It's kicking around for a while. So like a, a while ago, me and a few of the, ex, well, some of the rare guys talked about, um, you know, making another platformer. And um, that was that Mingi, Minji Jongo account that was on Twitter. And we kind of put that out to kind of gauge any interest. And there was, you know, was a, you know we've got like 20,000 people, whatever it was on that account, something like that. And uh, we thought, oh, this is something we could probably look, have a look at. So they had one meeting at a pub uh, in uh I think it was Burbage, perhaps something like that, in the in the wilds of the Midlands, <laughs> and uh, talked about it. And we actually kind of got a had a main character and a little kind of level that, that worked and jumped around on. But it was just really bad timing because people were still at rare. I was over here. There was no time to do it, so it just kind of collapsed really. Um, and I thought that was it. We're never going to do it again. And some of the guys that were in that little meeting didn't end up at Platonic, some didn't. And then I guess time went by, and rare had a that round of layoffs. Yeah. So some of the really senior guys, like Chris Sutherland, uh, got laid off. Um, and Chris was the lead programmer on, like, before I got there in 95, he'd done, like, all the Don games and, wow. you know, ton of the, uh, the NES stuff. So Chris was one of the very original employees. So he'd done, yeah, like... Yeah, some big classics. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So and then he ended up being a producer there. And then also Gavin Price, who was, like, a... He was originally a Q&A guy, uh, a, QA, a tester guy. Not Q&A. Is it Q&A? No. QA. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So and he was also, I can't remember the equipment laid off. So Gav actually had, he'd, bizarrely enough, him and his wife, and his wife Joe had um, bought a cake shop in Burton-on-Trent. So Gav was used to, like, getting business loans, projecting business stuff, all that kind of, you know, business plans, all that thing that nobody else like us, us lads knew how to do. And Gav said, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the company together and we're going to do it. I have to say that I think without Gav, it would never have happened. Me and Stephen Hurst and Steve Mails and Chris and other guys at Platonic were not that way inclined to kind of, you know, go and do that stuff. But Gav had done it before and he was good at it. A couple of business loans to kick it off. Chris was also, uh, you know, involved as a director. Jens Reistermeyer also as a director. He was also available. Um, Steve Mills actually quit Rare to go and join Platonic, which is pretty, you know, you've got to think wow. quitting Rare. Pretty big deal. Yeah, yes. You know, um, Mark Stevenson too. You know, that's how it kind of came about. And me and Gav were in constant contact, even before he was setting it up, he was saying, I'm going to do it. And I was like, well, you know, I'm obviously, and I was trying to, I was trying to advise him, even though I couldn't advise him about business stuff. I was trying to just tell him, you know, make sure you keep it lean and mean and do it over scope yeah. and all that, all that stuff that I've, I've been through, like being a freelancer. So yeah, so it all kind of came to fruition. It kicked off and that was it. And then they said, you know, we're going to do a Kickstarter. Um, and I uh, made contact with a guy called Andy Robinson, who's the edit- editor at CVG. And uh, we met at the uh, GDC one year, became friends. And I thought Andy would be a great kind of guy to go to with the Platonic stuff. And then and they ended up, Andy became, the, Andy now is employed by Platonic. So he's actually there kind of, you know, he, he's a writer. So he writes a lot of the dialogue stuff because, you know, he's, he, he loves those old games. He's a great writer. But he's also the kind of the um, the social side of the company. So he takes care of all the interviews and all that kind of stuff. Like me and him did lots of interviews at E3 this year. Yeah, I saw, yeah. Yeah. So like it all just kind of came together. And then... There was always a plan to do Kickstarter, but they did have the funds to make the game without it. That, I must stress that. that it, would, it would have been a smaller game, but they had made sure that they could build the game without the Kickstarter. So even if it failed, it could still happen. It may be in a smaller capacity. 
you know, so that's how it went. So, I mean, you know, they put the Kickstarter together. Andy did a, ran that and did a great job on it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it did rather well, didn't it? <laughs> I know, it's pretty, I mean, yeah, I've got to say it's pretty, it was, it was absolutely stunning, really. I mean, none of us for one second believed that it would be like that. Well, maybe maybe you'll now believe how much we love Banjo-Kazooie. Well, you yeah, know, it really is very heartwarming. I'm, you know, I don't, we don't, I don't take that lightly or any of us take that lightly at all. I'm like, in the fact that we're, you know, in, in dollars, I'm in dollars now, because you know, it's like $280,000 we're trying to raise in the in you know that's like that was the money to make the game right and like i thought in all honesty maybe a couple of weeks to make that kind of money you know yeah and it took 40 minutes to, to pass that thing yeah and then a million and then a million dollars in the first 24 hours it was like you know i mean i, I never saw the counter at zero i just logged in to, to kind of keep an eye on it it was like gizzing like I, I, yeah. I thought it was broken it was it was just zonking around like million miles an hour i mean i just we were all just like, stunned you know just watching it going yeah God. just watching it go up and up and up and up so i guess it you know it really it really meant to us a lot to us that people we don't want to see a game like that again you know for people to put their hands in their own pockets to do that is pretty spectacular you know you know what i mean that's really special so i think you know we're really we're really feeling that responsibility i think in our shoulders now to make that game as great as it can be yeah no pressure yeah i guess it's a nice pressure but it's it's so much love came from that kind of community kind of thing that we just it just blew us away, really. It was, like, incredible. Yeah, well, there's obviously a massive community um, to do with it. I mean, especially in the soundtracks. People love the Banjo-Kazooie soundtrack. I know, it's funny, like, you keep getting... It keeps getting talked about more and more these days, and it's really weird how it's taken 20... <laughs> not 20, well, 17 years to get there. Yeah. I finally, I'm finally popular after, after 17 years of waiting. <laughs> you know, um, so, well, popular's probably stretching it, but, you know, you know, but, you know what I mean? So, I, know, I think you can count as popular now. I think... <laughs> I think even back then, I think he counted as popular. Well, you know, but it, so that, you know, that's, and the fact they've just released the vinyl thing yesterday, that was pretty, I mean, I knew that was coming. So I, I, in fact, I put that together. I put the tracks together and gave them to Rare. So use these tracks. That must and, have been quite special to be able to release it on vinyl. Oh yeah. It was, you know, they're talking about doing it on Perfect Dark too. So I don't know. It's funny. I guess it's like John Williams writing Star Wars, even though I'm, I'm not in that league, but you know, it's that, that thing where he's always rem- remembered for that thing, you know, more probably more than anything, you know, it's like, yeah. I guess Banjo Kazooie is going to be my thing forever. I don't know. I'd say GoldenEye is a pretty big one as well that you you remembered for. Yeah, you know, I must admit, I do forget that because like GoldenEye sold like twice as much as Banjo, maybe you know, way more. So I think over here, definitely people know me more for GoldenEye probably. What over in the states? Yeah, I think so. It's it's like that's a weird one. I I, I keep forgetting about GoldenEye because I think because GoldenEye, me and Graham did it together. Yeah. And Banjo was my first game to myself completely. So I think that I forget about GoldenEye a lot of the time, and because and because we can never release the soundtrack because of the legal issues and all that, you know. I don't, I don't know how, you'd, how they'd ever get around that, because I guess you'd so have to... So many licensing issues, yeah. Yeah, you'd have to please Eon, because they own all the Bond stuff, and then I don't know what you'd do about Nintendo, because they own it probably, and some of it, or I don't know. And Monty Norman would want to get his cut of it, obviously, for his, his, his theme tune, you know, so... Yeah. How on earth they'd get around that? I think, you know, Red did have Goldeneye... Before I left, it was all ready to go uh, for XBLA. They'd, they'd converted it all. High res, looked great, fantastic. It was like oh, it was completely ready to go, but um, they just couldn't come to an agreement with with all the parties when Nintendo, Microsoft, and everybody else. So this this flopped. N- never got out the door. Well, there was a, a post going around on Facebook recently, I think, wasn't there, of all the uncompressed, high quality versions of the soundtrack on YouTube or something. Yeah, that's a bit bizarre. Like you know, people. I think people have got a really. They don't understand the uncompressed thing. Yeah, yeah. You're like yeah, obviously you've been an audio guy, you get it. But like most people don't get it at all and like i think they think that the music exists on the cartridge in full quality and it gets compressed to be played by the n64 which just isn't the case no the only place that that uncompressed music exists is on my hard drive in my on my computer yeah that's the only place it exists right yeah when i first started working on goldeneye 
everybody had, a, had, a, had an N64 dev kit, right? And that used to be a, the, the Nintendo N64 circuit board sat inside the Silicon Graphics indie computers. Right, okay. Because back in those days, the Silicon Graphics was really high-end, ridiculously powerful computers, right? No one could afford them. They were like 20 grand each. Right. So I was waiting for my dev kit to turn up when I was starting working on GoldenEye. Yeah. So I wrote like six or seven, whatever it is, six, seven tunes, just using my synths and stuff, and just recording it straight to DAT. So I had those like six, seven tunes kicking around, but then I never did, never, because then the dev kit turned up, I never did anymore. That was it. Oh, right. Yeah, so that, that so that's why I went to my website off years ago. I just sort of put these original versions on the on the website just so people can hear what I did at the start, right? You know, when it, when, then I had to kind of convert those samples. You know, I had to, I had to leap the synths, make them small, and take them down to sixteen kilohertz or eleven kilohertz for some of them. You know, uh, yeah. quite low quality back then, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I think everyone says uncompressed. It isn't that really. It's that's the wrong terminology for what yeah. that is. It's just. It is just those six, seven tracks that I wrote while I was waiting for a dev kit, and then I just put them on a website, and some kids ripped them for the website. They've been around for a long time. They've been on my website for like five, six years. It's been really peculiar, like, having that thing recently, because I've had such a lot of, like, press from the those GoldenEye tracks. It's pretty bizarre, really. And like, I think, you know, it's it's bizarre that they've been there for probably, as I say, five, six years, and no one's... Yeah, and you're there again. Well, it's been on my website the whole yeah. time. Like... It's been such a lot of press. It's been all over the place. I can't, you know, like, it's been everywhere. You know, I can't believe it. I guess, you know, the way licensing seems to work is that if I was to revisit all the GoldenEye tracks, you know, kind of thing, and redid them with new versions, like you can call it a new arrangement, then I could release it. Yeah. And you could pay Monty Norman and his royalty. You could, you know, that's that's legal to do that. And I've always thought about redoing, like, because like everyone's remixed the Banjo-Kazoo stuff, and I feel like doing my own remix at some point. I keep thinking I should do my own one. I'm just, you know. That'd be awesome, yeah. Yeah, redo the tunes and have a laugh with it and stick it out as an LP or something like that. And I've thought about it, but like you say, I never have the time. So Yeah, it's a time thing, though, yeah. for fun stuff. Yeah, every time I sort of think about doing it, uh, I think I've got a bit of downtime, something pops up, and I don't, have, I don't have time to do it. So I guess when my popularity fades at that point, I'll probably do it then because I'll have no work. So, Just bring out a banjo kazooie EP. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll be relying on it for, for to live on probably. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess at some point I'll do that. While we're on the banjo kazooie soundtrack, what's your favourite track from banjo kazooie? I think probably Mad Monster Mansion from the first game. Yeah. Yeah, because I kind of that's my that's when I kind of realised I could do dark harmonies in a quirky way. Yeah. So it, it was really dark, but you wouldn't scare anybody because it was done like umpire and all that stuff, you know. That's my my moment of my light bulb moment of like, oh, I can do something that's dark in harmony, but if I make it umpire and, and sounds jolly, yeah. people aren't going to realise that it's dark. It'll, it'll have that dark feeling, and you don't know, you won't know why. Really, it's a sort of a turning point in your compositional methods on that one. Yeah, I mean, I did write that tune originally for Dream. Um, it was like a little chase sequence I did in Dream with that tune, and then it turned into Manbuster Mansion later. Okay, so back to ukulele. What was your first step? when the project was like, this is going to happen, Grant, this is your first task? Well, I'm not quite there yet, really. I'm only just at that point now. So when I, I did that first tune, the jungle tune thing, yeah, we were trying to make people understand what we were going to do. You know, so I wrote the most Banjo-Kazooie thing I could think of. Right, okay. Like I tried to compress all the Banjo-Kazooie-isms into one piece of music. All the Platonic guys were saying, we can't use this, it's from the first game. I said, no, it's not, from, it's, it's a brand new piece, it just sounds like it's from the first game. Yeah, because you emulated it so well. Yeah, and they were all going to usually go, no, it sounds like this. I said, yeah, it sounds like all of it. That's the whole point. That's <laughs> yes, the idea. Yes, it's supposed to sound like all of it. That was the kind of kicker offer. And like, and like having that first like j- little jungle level, that was supposed to be a test level. It wasn't supposed to be a level in the game at all. 
Oh, okay. You know, because when you make a game, usually you make a test level where you can do all the jumps. Oh, yeah, loads of concepts, yeah. Yeah, yeah but like generally you get like a test area where you can kind of do all the jumps, pick up all the things. So you can, so it's rather than trying to go going through the whole game. Trying yeah, to make... everything in one level so you can test it all out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so that's what that was. But Andy said, you know, this is pretty good. We should probably use this. So he went, oh, we could t- we turn it to a little level. It'd be great for a demo. And so that's what, that's what it did. So it, it worked well because people could see what the game was going to look like. There was no kind of conceptual art. Like it's going to be like this. We could really show people what it's going to be like. See the character doing these little, you know, looking cute, etc. Yeah. It's got that that Steve Mayles magic about it, you know, that all uh, that Banjo Kazooie had, etc. You know, kind of thing. And the and hopefully I, my thing was like, if it looks like it and sounds like it, we're going to be halfway there, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's everything in the sense of a spiritual successor, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but we wanted to make so that was a, the original thing to make people know what we're going to do. But then at the same time, wanted to make sure people knew that it wasn't just an old retro knockoff of a retro. That that's not the point of it, right? The point is to kind of carry forward the spirit of Banjo Kazooie, introduce new things bring it up to date. The rest of the music might not be quite as banjo-esque as that. You know, it, it's to have those little touch points in everything, in the, yeah. in the graphics, in the humour, in the music, in the sound effects, that everyone kind of goes, I recognise that, but I don't quite recognise it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. That's what we're trying to do with it all. Funny enough, I'm just at the point now of starting on ukulele proper, right, literally yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so I'm kind of starting at proper. I think, I'm, I think my first task is probably going to be to write some variants of that jungle tune so we can do channel fades in the first level. That's probably what I'll do, for, I think. As I say, I've not, not, not heard from Gav yet because literally I signed the contract yesterday. So now that's done, I'll be getting my workload from Mr. Price, I would think, any day now. Do this, Kirkhope, right now. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so that's, yeah, so literally it's literally like yesterday. Fantastic. So you'll be getting a lot through now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be in, in bits and pieces. So obviously, you know, I'll probably do a bit and stop, do a bit and stop as they get levels going and stuff like that. There's some things that we will know, like well, some boss pieces, I can probably make a start on those. Yeah. But like level pieces, I need to wait until they get, at least they know what they're going to be. And I think they know all the levels now nearly. And I know that the, the one, that jungle piece will be a level, so I need to write some variants for that. When you're a staff composer, it's different because you sit there for years and years working on a game. I like Banjo Kazoo, it's like probably two years. Yeah. You sit there and just, you just kind of, you know, chip through it as you go. I was doing sound effects too. But now I'm a freelancer, I'm just doing music. So I'll probably, I would imagine that ukulele a bit something to do then i'll stop and then do something else and then go back to ukulele again i would think it worked a bit like that yeah and you're collaborating with david wise aren't you yeah yeah so like dave's a great guy so i don't think we'll actually collaborate on music like on, on a piece together i think that'd be unlikely right so if you're writing separate pieces yeah i think our writing styles are really different dave does stuff fantastically well that i just can't do i think when we first started talking about it it was obvious to us who should do which bits well it's nice to know that you even from the off when two composers were together that you can say it's quite obvious who's going to be doing what, because that must be quite a difficult thing sometimes when they get more than one composer in on a project and you have to go, right, well, who's going to do which bit? Yeah, like I've never really collaborated with anybody actually on a piece of music apart from Danny Baranowski. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, we worked on Dust Up Dungeons together. We actually did work in each of those pieces. Yeah. And that worked out great, because could, I could say, that shit, you could say that shit, we won't get offended. Yeah. <laughs> we're good mates, you know what I mean? But also working with um, uh, Jeff Knorr and Michael Curran and Griffin Cohen on uh, Beyond uh, Civilization Beyond Earth. That was cool. Um, but like we also at that point we just got I just got one planet I got the the desert planet to do so we didn't really work together that's quite an interesting way of doing it I mean obviously that works with the style of game it was you got a planet each that's that's kind of interesting yeah sorry Jeff's the main composer he did more than me so I've just finished doing the um the expansion pack for that, the Rising Tide thing. Oh, yeah. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, that, I've got to say that. I've just got the, the, the Masters back last night, funny enough, and I'm just blown away by my own stuff. I know that's a bit of a conceited thing to say, <laughs> but, but it just sounds so phenomenal. Like, and, Jeff, and I've not heard Jeff's stuff yet, but I know that'd be brilliant. This time it's just me and Jeff and Griffin doing it together. So that, I think it's out in October, I think. I might be wrong about that. But like, certainly the Masters, it's going to be, a, going to be another digital release. It'll be released again to iTunes and Amazon. You know, it's back in Prague again. It was like, just sounds fantastic. I didn't go. Jeff went and did all the kind of the, the, the stuff like that but it was it sounds amazing so 
so that was like another thing where I got I've got I've got a different different planet this time. I can't say which one. Um, and uh, he's got some. He's, he did more than me again because he's kind of the main guy in that game. He's done it for years. But I was just really flattered to get asked back to do it again because I really really enjoyed doing that that game uh, last year. Yeah, it's an epic game, isn't yeah. it? I haven't actually played it, but I've seen enough to to know how big it is. And the music got so well received, it got like quite a few award nominations. It won quite a few as well. Got the ASCAP Composer's Choice Award, which was pretty cool. We didn't win it, but we got nominated. Um, I won the, won the IFMCA one, which is great. And so, yeah, it was really, I loved it. It was good, good fun doing that game. Great fun. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, it was fantastic score that was uh, very well received. Mm, yeah. Speaking of ukulele, after all of these other fantastic projects you've worked on, I mean, since Banjo-Kazooie, you've worked on God knows how many soundtracks and how many different styles. Do you have to kind of revert back to how you used to write or have you got a really cool kind of hybrid way of writing now that you've amassed so many different skills and learned so much over the years that you think this soundtrack you can put so much more into it that you would have liked to have put into banjo kazooie if you'd known maybe i don't know about that i think that um like writing the banjo stuff you know i was just i was new at rare i'd only been there a short period of time maybe a year probably before i started on that something like that yeah so like in a way i'm sort of glad i didn't have anything to kind of clutter my thought yeah, I just wanted to write something a bit odd and quirky for the for the characters, you know, and it kind of just popped out the way it did. And the thing about it was, I I had no preconception about what I ought to do. I'd done Goldeneye really, but it and that was like doing the Bond stuff, so I didn't really know, you know, it was kind of I loved doing it, but it was like not my own stuff. So to get a chance to write my my completely own music by myself with nobody else involved was like special. So yeah, and to kind of try and do something a bit different, even though I didn't really know what I was doing, like I just. All I knew was I want, I want it not to be like kind of because we were doing a platform to try and take on Mario, right? So I wanted to make sure that I didn't write music that was kind of that kind of because Nintendo got that really great sort of poppy jazzy style they do for Mario, which is really good. Yeah. And I can't do that. And I just thought it's daft me trying to do it. It'll be crap. I just thought I need to try and do something that I can maybe do myself that I can do well, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I just kind of fell on that kind of quirky thing and you just wrote it and hope for the best. Everyone seemed to like it and the channel fade thing was working well and. You know, you, you know, you really don't know when you're that close to a project if it's going to be. I didn't think people still be talking about it 17 years later, whatever it is. I mean, like, I thought we have forgotten it about six months. It must be quite awesome though. They're still kind of around, and everyone's still kind of receiving it really well. It is really heartening that you know, it's, like, it's so it's really touching, humbling, all that stuff roll into one. Like, I get so many emails about that still, and people on Twitter talking about it, it never ends. You know, and well, like Banjo Kazooie, even for myself, is one of what I count as one of my favourite games from my childhood, and it's been. It's a fantastic title. I had to rebuy it on the N64 just because I really wanted it as part of my collection. Right. <laughs> it is weird. And I think that it's not weird. It's just, it's just, I think what, I, what I've learned recently, right? Like I know it sounds like this place sounds like really daft and really obvious to everybody else, but it wasn't very obvious to me. But like, I think back to when I'm a kid, right? I can remember all the cartoons that I liked as a kid and all the theme tunes that I remember as a kid. And I've suddenly struck me that the things you like when you're a kid, you never forget until the day you die. People keep saying to me, oh, Bandit Kids is part of my child. And I was like, all right, you know, not just missing, but thinking, oh, yeah, it's a nice thing to say. But I thought about it. Like, it, it is true. Like, I could, all those stuff that I liked, I remember all the notes and all the bloody theme tunes and all of everything. And, like, I've realised that like, kids that were, like, five or ten playing Bandit Kazooie and I like, what, 25, whatever, 30, kind of, you know, that way, you know, they, they remember it, you know, all that stuff, you know. So they remember all the tunes and everything. So, and, and now... With social media, people can get to you and tell you about it. Yeah, and you know, it's just quite. It must be quite nice that people are reaching out over every platform now just to say, "Loved what you did." Yeah, it, it, honestly, I, I never, never get. Well, I never get tired of hearing it. So you know, <laughs> you know but you know, but like it's. I never, I never take that for granted. I think it's really special. 
And like you do get those odd little males from people that say I had a terrible childhood or you know, I had a terrible parents or whatever. And the one thing that was a light in my life is playing Bunty Kazooie. And you know, some of those emails you get are so you know, you can't put it into words. It's really it brings you to tears really because it's so you don't get I don't get many, but you do get the one or two where you go, Christ, that kid had a terrible childhood and the list disasters happen in their lives or people dying or dreadful stuff and like, you know, they played Bangazoo with a dad and the dad died you know later and that's the memory of their father, you know, awful stuff like that. And you just go, Christ, you know, and you know, that stuff's hard to handle sometimes because you don't that wasn't what he was there in the first place for. But, it's, but yeah, I bet you never expected that. No, you know, and you I've heard quite a few of those stories. It's like, oh I played with my mother and she got cancer and then, you know, it was great playing with her when she's in the bed and then she died and it's like, oh my God, you know, he's you know, it's really difficult. So I'm slowly starting to realise that or any kind of media can mean something to somebody really important at some point in their lives. It could be any, a song or a, a movie or a poem or a, a picture or anything like that. And you, I think as a media creator, like I am or like you are, like, you know, you, you don't realise sometimes what that stuff can be for people. You know, it, I think you forget that. And you do get reminded of it from time to time that some of that stuff can really be in a, a pinnacle of their life or something dreadful or something really happy or all that stuff, you know. Well, I think that's a lesson you can learn easily about a lot of things. Like even sometimes uh, if you meet people or speak to people and they say even just one thing to them, they've said something just very flippantly and they, they don't never think again about it. But sometimes people can attach themselves to certain memories so strongly. Mm. And people will remember just one sentence you said to them 10 years ago because of a good way or a bad way that it, it could have just done so much. Yeah. And it's the same with this stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, like, I think if I could write, if I could email John Williams and just say, you know, I think you're brilliant, John. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cheers, mate. And, and you know, and he write back and says, thanks, Grant. I, you know, I would be like, I'd keep the email forever. You know, even if he only said thanks, Grant, and that was it. I'd just go, it's, it's got John Williams' email address. I don't know if he's even got an email address, but he probably has got one. I don't know. But, like, you know, if he just, I'd keep that forever and ever and ever, you know, and like, so I never take that. I, you know, when people write to meet me at my website, I'm getting, slower at replying now because I'm getting so many emails I'm trying to reply but it's getting hard um, so I really try to reply to everybody when I can but it just I just don't know what I'm going to do about it I can't quite work out I'm going to keep so like it's good on Twitter because I can instantly reply when I, you know, I, can, I can sit on the you know waiting in the queue or, some, or whatever you know what I mean for something so the email thing's getting difficult so I'm not I don't know what to do about that I'm trying my hardest because I really try to, re to reply to everybody but some people ask like really long questions which take a long time to answer so I tend to skip those and try to back to them later and then they get lost and you know so it's difficult you can't underestimate that thing because like you might just talk to one person like you say and it might just mean it might change their lives yeah that's the power you have i don't like that kind of ego thing i don't like it i like to just be like ordinary bloke from around the corner you know <laughs> i like that Colville. yeah well you know what i mean that's what i like so i don't like the ego thing very much i don't think it's an ego thing i think it's good that you've noticed you can have that effect you know i think it's more of an ego when you don't care what effect you have right i think knowing that you have that effect and then understanding that you could do that is is definitely not an ego trip. I think, I, honestly, I, I just want to be nice to people. I really, that's what I want. I just want to be nice to people. They'd be nice to me, and that we're all happy. That's that's what all I want, really. And I, I just think, just, would just be nice. Why why not? You know, like I've had a I've had a few people I've had to block on Twitter, but not very many. You know, couple on Facebook that get a bit argumentative about stuff. You know, and, really? Yes, yeah, and, and not very many. Maybe like five or six, literally. Do you even post much that is worth arguing about? Well, sometimes <laughs> I say stuff that I won't like. Um, you know, and I just think, oh, and I do try to kind of just ignore it, you know, but sometimes they'll be really pushy or something. And I just, I just, I've, I've blocked a few, right. um, but I don't, I don't, I don't do it very often because anybody that kind of interacts with me is usually really nice and like this jolly and I've, I've kind of a good laugh and they know that I like having a laugh and they can swear and I don't mind, you know, I don't mind that. That's what I'm like. I just, yeah. I like to swear. I like, <laughs> I like to have a good laugh. You know? So, you know what I mean? So 
yeah, I, I, I don't have any problem with that really at all. But just now and then you do, not very often. It must be hard because I mean you've got how many followers on Twitter now? Quite quite a lot. I think forty one or something like that. Forty one thousand. <laughs> Something, something quite high. Well, it's all right. It's not, you know, you compare it to other people. It's not that many. It's just, you know, it's like, it, it, obviously, I'm quite proud of it, but I don't think it's compared to some proper composers who have lot, <laughs> lots of, they have lots of, like, you know, followers compared to me, you know, so. Well, there's quite a few thousand of those that must have said a comment or so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's lots of those guys that have, they're, they're, they're really nice. I mean, I've, I have, you know, I, I some, usually Friday night I'll sit down and get a bit drunk and, have, and I'll have my little playtime on Twitter and I, I just and it's like it's just like chatting to a bunch of mates. It's really good fun. So <laughs> and if you, if you talk to any of those people that I just they'll just ask daft questions and I'll just post daft stuff and it's it's quite funny. You know, it's like a little Friday night pub chat. You know, <laughs> on Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. So it's uh, so I really like that. It's nice. To, you kind of feel when you want to chat to somebody, you can just have a chat on Twitter and it's great. You know, so. I really like that. And I, I never thought for a minute I'd get that many followers. I was just, it, it never ceases to amaze me. It keeps going up. And I keep thinking it's just on a plateau, but it just keeps going up. I can't quite understand it. Um, I, don't, I don't have any kind of, sort of amazing pearls of wisdom that I talk about. <laughs> it's just complete nonsense, you know, so. And some Vine videos. Yeah, that's a bit weird. You know, kind of the, the, how it keeps getting bigger and bigger. So I guess it'll stop at some point. I don't know. I don't think so. I think Twitter's one of those organic things that I don't think it can stop. Well, I'll have to wait and see what, what I'm managing <laughs> before I die. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I think the... Uh, that's, what, that's what you're watching. <laughs> how many Twitter followers you have. I'm on, de- I'm on deathbed. You know, just yeah, sat yeah. there, like, just clicks around. Oh, that's it. I'll just copy it. Uh, <clears throat> I think the Rare Replay thing is going to... It's funny how I've had quite a lot of people talking on Twitter about the Rare Replay thing about games they've never played. Like grab by the goose, yeah. and and gonna I like it, and I like and or the Pinata, they haven't played that, so that I, th- I almost feel it's going to like generate a whole new audience for those games in some respects. I think it will do, yeah. I think there's a lot of um, a lot to be said about all these HD remasters and all these re releases of games, and especially something like Rare Replay, especially with Rare Replay being such good value as well. Mm. It's not just one HD remaster; it's thirty games. So yeah, and all that video content, like as well, that's on it too. I got interviewed in like GDC like like, like this year. I did my little bit, so um, but I, unfortunately, I think I swore on a lot of my video footage, so they couldn't use lots of it. <laughs> um, so uh, I didn't, I didn't think about it at the time. I thought I didn't think it's gonna be a family game, so I was like effing and blinding, like you know, like, fuck it, hell of this, you know, like that. Like, when we did this, because the, the kids said to me, "Tell us a story about what you know, all the stories." And I asked, trotting out all the stories about all the old days, like at Ray, like doing wacky things and stuff, you know. But of course, I was just swearing in the entire time, like I do. Um, so I think they, they couldn't use most of it. <laughs> so that was a bit unfortunate. So you're not even on it. <laughs> I want it a little bit. I'll see myself a couple of times. Quick, quick moments yeah. in between the expletives. Yeah. Most of the best stories were, were sort of interspersed with bleeps. So, all right. Yeah. Or, or they could have been. So, unfortunately, I think I'm, I'm not on as much as I could have been. So, but that was cool to do that. And, you know, I'm getting they're sending me a free copy. It's quite good. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah. And I met, I met Craig Duncan at the, um, at the interview thing. So it's quite nice to say hello to him. I saw him at E3 as well. Um, and it's you know it's all me it's all me old mates you know what I mean so it's like just like recanting the old stories of the old days you know yeah I mean that's one thing I've noticed when we spoke to you before you talk about all the old rare times and all the rare guys and everyone's just really friendly and you're just like a group of pals that you used to work with yeah and it just sounds really social mm, yeah and I think it was, yeah, we're still good mates now it's never changed yeah so I think you know all the people that worked on Banjo Kazooie I passed up probably know most of them there's a little core team that we were that we all were that we're never gonna you know, we're just going to be friends forever, really. It's like, yeah. you know, it's, we all went to each other's weddings and all that, you know, so it's never going to change. Funny enough, I did a, I did a, um, I was at Con Bravo in Canada. Um, the, I was guest of honour at this, this thing that last weekend, the weekend before last. And I had my own little, you know, Q&A with Grant Kirkup thing, you know, sat there. And I was talking about Rare and actually, I actually burst into tears at one point. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe that. I was sat talking away 
Someone, I was talking about leaving Rare, and I, and I got so upset about it, I just had to stop talking and just wipe the tears away and took a drink and tried to cut. I got so, it still upsets me now thinking about leaving Rare because I loved it so much. Yeah, well, you've been there so so long. Mm. You know, it must have been a very big decision to leave oh, yeah. the States. I never thought I'd ever want to leave there. And I love the Stamper family so much. They were such great people, and I love working for them. Like, Tim was just... I loved working with Tim more than anything. It was fantastic. He was just... Him and Greg were just... They were the guys, my bosses, and they were the designers, and they had the great ideas. And they used to say, come on, Grant, don't be crap. Do this, do it better, you know? You know what I mean? Like that, and like, you know, always like that, take the mickey out of me, and it never stopped. And that's rubbish. Come on, get do it better than that. You know, it was always like that. It was a great camaraderie and I, you know I loved those days so much that it really upset me leaving there got, that last day was dreadful never forget that last day but oh god I never it was just I can't it was just it was so awful I can't even put it to words I loved being at Ray it was a real magical place certainly in the early days when I, when I just started I couldn't believe I was there working on that stuff it was just off the scale amazing you know it just I can't I, I can't quantify it it's just it, it's just it was amazing for me. Magical time, really, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. It was nothing like it. I never forget those days. And I've really liked. You know, I've been lucky that I've. You know, I've, I've worked on good projects all the way along. I've been really lucky. I guess it could, could go wrong tomorrow, but it's been all right so far. And I'm really enjoying being a freelancer. I like that a lot. Must be enjoying the beach. Beach must help. Well, I don't get to go. Definitely, <laughs> kids get to go. I sit home and really sit writing bloody music. That so. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, you know, living in, living in California, making a living out of music is pretty great and I'm, it's managing so I mean, as I say it might go wrong tomorrow but it's got alright at the moment Would you ever consider coming back to the UK? I, you know what uh, there'd have to be a good reason Yeah Like even if even if it all went wrong here coming back to the UK wouldn't be any, probably any better for me financially because like it's a smaller industry there Yeah like, Living like here here is the place of the media capital of the world right so there's everything's here every movie studio's here every TV studio's here everybody's here so you know you'd hope you could find something to do all the trailer companies are here. Like, everything's here, you know. You'd have to be a big reason then that drew you back. Yeah, I guess, like, you know, my parents died a long time ago. So my dad died in, like, 79, when I was, like, 16. My mother died in 99. So, you know, I've got, I've only got a brother in the UK, actually, family, that's it. I'm from Scotland, so I've got a couple of my cousins are in Scotland. But I haven't really got any family. You know, obviously the wife's got, like, everything. The grandparents, a whole lot, you know, the full, uh, all that. So then we, we go back for them. Yeah. But me... I can't think of a real good reason why I'd have to come back right now. I miss a good pie, that's what that's for sure. I live in Agora Hills and like in a thousand oaks is a little um shop called um it's called the Hare and Hounds. It just says British stuff. And it's a little old Scottish lady who runs it from Glasgow, so I love talking to her, like and get me a little Scottish accent. Hi, right, yeah, how you doing here? Are you all right? Uh, you know, it's great talking. I, I like talking to her. So we have a good laugh with her and we just and they got she's got all the stuff. It's a bit expensive, but like she's got everything you like that you can wish for that's British. Yeah, she's been there like 20 years. The shop's been going for like oh, maybe 30 years even. So she's been, she's been there a long time. So, uh, oh, bloody yeah, hell. so it's great to kind of nip up there and get all the kind of British stuff that you can't quite get hold of. But you can get most of it, you know. What's, what's, what's the main thing, apart from pie? Um, things like crunchies, things like that. Really? Like, yeah, I like crunchies. I love those. Kids like getting like, what do they like to get? Well, think about that. The chocolate is crap, right? Hershey's chocolate's crap. It's really waxy. Um, and like so the, so the kids like to get Cadbury stuff from there or the proper chocolate, you know, so um, that kind of stuff. And like your Easter eggs or things like um, advent calendars, we get those from there because they don't do them over here really, very, not that much anyway. Okay. So we get advent calendars from there because like, you know, the kids like to do that on Christmas and all that stuff, you know. Christmas pudding, you can't get that here. You get that from, from the little old lady at the road. That's pretty good. Nice. Scotch pies. She, gets, she has Scotch pies. I love Scotch pies. They're my favourite pies in the world, right? So she has Scotch pies. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I, said, I can't believe you've got Scotch pies. She's got a freezer in the... In the uh, in the shop, right, just open the door, tons of scotch pies. I couldn't believe it. And you had a heart attack. Look, I love scotch pies. They're my favourite pie forever. Right, awesome, man. At least they've got them up the road. Oh, too right. Yeah, it's bloody marvellous. It is. So, like, it's, um, that's cool. 
So I, don't, I can't see myself coming back, really. Not, 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 in, not in the near future, anyway. I like it here. You can't beat the weather. Um, and I like that kind of being in the middle of it all. And also, I think that, you know, I'm, really, I'm serious about trying to do movies and TV. I haven't got any yet, but I'm serious about it. And I think that if you are serious about it, you have to be in LA. There's nowhere around it. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously where everything is, like you say. Yeah. I think if you're a, a big name composer, you could be anywhere. Like Alexander Desplat lives in Paris because he's a massive big name composer. He could be anywhere. But I think there's someone like me who isn't a big name composer. You have to be in here because, like, should someone say they want, to, they want to meet you, they want to meet you in half an hour. Can you meet in half an hour at the coffee shop down, down there? So you just, you know, that's the thing you, have to, you can do. Like, they want, they want to make sure that they can be, they can bother you all the time about, right, they can, if you are writing stuff for them, they want to be making changes. And they, they don't want to be doing it over Skype or not, they don't want that. They want to be on the, you know, in the same time zone. Yeah. All that stuff, you know. I think if it's, I am serious about it. I say I haven't got anything yet, but I'm sort of, I'm trying like, like buggery to do it. Well, okay, then what would, what would be your ideal film genre to score for? It's going to be fantasy, and it? it's going to be some kind of fantasy magical thing. That's what I'd like to do. Yeah. A Harry Pottery thing, you know. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, you know. JK, if you're looking for a composer, give me a shout. <laughs> um, that would be my dream to do something like that. I'm sure JK Rowling listens to The Sound Architect every, every month. <laughs> get, she's on Twitter. She'd tweet it to her. Yeah, just so you were quoted in one of our interviews. You should have a yeah. listen. <laughs> I should live in Scotland and I'm Scottish, so you know, there we go. Good connection there. There you go, you're in. Well, everybody, everybody needs to tweet at J.K. Rowling and say, J.K., you need to hire Grant for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's all of the 41,000 followers yeah. of Grant Kirkhope on. on Twitter. Tweet it, J.K. Rowling. Yeah, for God's sake. It's not, it's not, it's not, not much to ask, is it? It's just one tweet to J.K. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, J.K., you're going to get 41,000 tweets now. Just... <laughs> Can you imagine if that happened? Wouldn't that be hilarious? You'd probably like, sue me or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for harassment or something. <laughs> yeah, for inciting a riot of 40,000 Twitter followers to ask me for work. <laughs> well, you know, you, got to, you have to try, don't you? Exhaust every avenue. Well, everyone has a different tactic. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter assault, maybe one of them. Yeah, you never know. You never know. You look, dear. But like, yeah, I guess something really magical fantasy would be great. Because I like, I like doing Kings of Zamalor. That was a great one to do for me. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good soundtrack. Yeah, and like also doing Civilizations. That, that's, that's also very kind of, sci-fi. I know, but it's still this, that kind of still sci-fi fantasy yeah. kind of epic feel to it. Yeah, I think that's my that's that's what that, that's what I'd like to do most of all. But quite honestly, I do anything. I do like you know reggae. I've had to, if I could get I could get a, yeah. on a TV show or a, or a movie. So. You know, I don't, I do it. I don't. I think good thing about being a game composer is you, you do get to do a lot of variety. So you do get to used to doing a lot of stuff. You're not just you're not just good at one thing. You have to try and be good at a lot of things because that's what people expect you to do. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's part of the trade. Yeah, and I think these days as a composer, I think you're more of a media composer, right? So you kind of do all of it if you can. Yeah, but there's plenty of guys who do TV shows and games and movies and all that stuff. You know, so I think that um, well, you do what you have to do and what you like to do. Yeah. I haven't done anything I really hated at all. I haven't done anything I've even disliked that much. Even though I've, I didn't like the Yiba Ninja Gaiden Z game very much, I still like writing the music. The music was all right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> music was great. Well, well, I don't know if it was great, but I like writing it because I, I, it's first of all, I've done synth for ages, so it's great to kind of get back in a bit of synthy stuff and, you yeah, know, yeah. try my best at that. So I've done that since Perfect Dark, really, so it's quite cool to do that. Oh, wow, really? Since Perfect Dark? Yeah, because yeah, since Perfect Dark, I've just done orchestral, really, from that point onwards. And it's nice now that I'm, I did it with Civilization, doing that kind of um, that hybrid orchestra where like synths mixed in with it. It's been quite cool to do that, you know. You know, I've had to do. I think being a freelancer, I've had to do a lot more stuff than as a staff guy. It's obviously a lot shorter time frame as well, isn't it? Yeah, like I think back on how much music I've written in the last couple of years, three years, it's like I can't get over it. Like my drive is just, you know, it's full of stuff that I've written. Yeah. Before it was like you know quarter full. You know, I can't believe how much I've had to do in the last two or three years. And you don't think about it because you kind of do you do it and go to the next project, you know. So, but right now I've got. 
a ukulele to do. I've got um, doing a game called Peter Panic, which is a bit of an odd one. It's a it's a it's a little indie game, but it's um it's a Broadway musical in a game with NES graphics with NES graphics. Okay, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's got it's got full singing, like proper Broadway singing. Oh wow! And the guy, it's got they've got another composer to do most of it, and the guy said to me, "We'd like to do one level." So I've got little levels. So I've, I've had to get the lyrics and write some kind of Broadway tunes and all that. So it's been. Are you singing it? No, I sent <laughs> the demo to send back, but I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. But uh, they'll get a guy to sing it. It's actually cool. It's, like, it's got like NES graphics. It's really weird kind of concept. Yeah, it's like a weird combination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Something I wouldn't expect ever, and I've never done it before, so it's kind of cool to kind of do it. I'm still working for William Pugh, the Stanley Parable chap. Yeah. So um, doing stuff for him. I've got quite a big thing that I can't talk about yet, which I'm really excited about, which is like, um, it's turned into this big thing that I didn't think, think it was going to be. I was kind of thinking it would be like a medium-sized project at the start of it, and it's turned into this kind of quite giant thing that's some quite things in it that I've kind of gone, my God, I can't believe that's I'm actually awesome. going to get to do that. When do we hear more about that? I don't know. I'm guessing E3 probably next year, uh, maybe before, but certainly E3 next year, there'll be some kind of unveiling. Some of the things in that, I've just kind of gone, just a minute, I'm just going to do this. Like, you know, that thing that you think you never get to do. So like that's going to be odd. Um, and people that I'm working with are really great people. So I'm grateful with them. So um, I'll be lucky to get like a great working relationship on, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm just dying to tell people about, yeah, yeah, about okay, it. Really. Yeah. Must be hard with all these NDAs. Yes, yeah, so I can't do that. So yeah, right now, yeah, I'm, 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 I've had a couple of inquiries recently about some, some more stuff to do. So it's kind of all stacking up at the moment. So I'm, I'm getting, getting a little bit frightened. There's going to be a bit a lot of work to do. <laughs> Well, nice and busy though, at least. Well, I think you can't win, can you? It's either full on or full off. Yeah. Like I was, you know, I've been sat, I must admit this summer, it's probably the most time I've had off since 1995. I've sat for quite a few, the kids been off school, like over they get like massive hit holidays, like 10 weeks over here, 11 weeks off. Wow. Yeah, tons, yeah. And I've, I've had most of that off, really. I haven't done a lot in that 10 weeks, which has been pretty good. But ironically, and I, I, I sort of thought that the things that are coming up would kind of be a bit kind of staggered, but they're all just kind of going, and today, let's start this. And that's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's <laughs> it's all at once. Yeah, it's literally the same day. It's like, I can't believe it. So, uh, yeah, I've got quite a lot to do at the moment. Awesome. Well, that covered my next question, which was, we have talked a lot about ukulele and Banjo-Kazooie, but I was going to ask you what else you've got going on. So I guess we, we've got a lot going on is the answer to that one. Yes, at the moment, yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah quite a bit. I don't know. I think, I think we'll see how it goes over the next few weeks. <laughs> see what happens next. We'll talk to you again and you'll just have your hair everywhere and just be like, ah. I'll just, I'll just, no hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just none left. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As I say, the kids are back at school soon, so I don't know, I'll get a bit more time to get sorted out. Okay, well, before we go, I do want to ask, if, if when do we hear a bit more of what is happening with ukulele? When can we hear the next instalment? I honestly don't know about that. I don't know when that'll be. Because I say, I literally signed a contract yesterday, so I need, I'm not quite sure what I need to do right now. Yeah, well, it's super early days. but Yeah, but I think the plan is to try and be quite as transparent as possible. The community's been so fantastic about it, like 70-odd thousand people, those people. We're going to, you know, we'll be sharing stuff with them, all the way along, I think, as much as you can. I think it might be a little bit dark in ukulele for a little for a little while, just to kind of get the game kicked off properly and get some stuff going. Yeah. But I think there'll be a big E3 thing, I'm pretty sure, and perhaps some stuff before that. But I would, I would think by E3 there'll be something pretty substantial to show. Well, I thought it was pretty cool that your publisher's going to be Team 17. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they're good guys. Uh, that was kind of... That's been going on for a little while. It's been a bit under the desk, so no one knew about it. Yeah. Um, but they've been super helpful, so, like... Because the whole part about Platonic is it's to try not to distract anybody from making the game. Yeah, yeah. That's why there wasn't some stupid tears in the Kickstarter, like add a new world, add a new character, add a new, like a lot of games do. All the top end stuff was like, let's do orchestra, because that'd be my problem, right? I'll deal with that. Not, they, <laughs> I mean, they, they wouldn't bother about it. They'll, be there, they'll, just, they'll just pay for it and I'll, we'll sort it out, book it, all the rest of it. And it'll, they'll be not, they won't distract from game design at all, right? So that's the way with Team 17 are going to help out with all the stuff that's, that'll just distract the guys from making the game. They can take care of a lot of logistics stuff and 
all the kind of Xbox store, XBLA, all that stuff that you don't want to get involved with. Yeah, and everyone could just focus on the content. Yeah, they, they, they've done that a million times, and they're good at it, and they've got great relationships with, all, with all, the, all the console people, so that takes the weight off Platonic shoulders. And the big fans, too, like the, the, of the games in the film, I think they're really... They were one of the first people to contact Platonic when it was announced. They were so excited to be involved, and like you know, and the, you know, I know Gavin. The lads were thinking about, well, we should we do it? Should we not? You know, but then they met with them a few times and realised that they're such big fans of the game and just wanted to be involved in any capacity. Yeah, that was great, and they've, they've been really brilliant. They've done tons of stuff like behind the scenes for Platonic that people don't know about that that's been really helpful. Yeah, they're, they're a great partner. Yeah, well, we're very much looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that's pretty much everything I've got to ask. Thanks again for joining us, Grant. It's been amazing talking to you, as always. Well, thanks for uh, wanting to talk to me in the first place. It's very, very kind. Yeah, well, I hope to catch up with you again soon once we see a bit more of ukulele. You know me, I always like talking about myself, so just, you know, anytime you like. (laughs) (laughs) Weekly (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you take care of yourself. Thanks again. You too. See ya.